You're listening to Speaking of Racism, the podcast dedicated to frank, honest, and respectful discussions about race and racism in the U.S. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Pull up a chair and let's talk. Special thanks to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know featuring Jay Lang. Roxon is the CEO of UYD Management, a strategic leadership and consulting firm that helps corporations improve their bottom line by incorporating diversity, inclusion, and social justice strategies. He is an authority on cross-cultural competencies and international branding strategy. He hosts the popular cross-cultural podcast called As Told by Nomads and has been featured by media outlets around the world. And I'm really excited to have him as a guest on Speaking of Racism today. Tayo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be on here. And thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. And also to talk about your new book, which I just finished reading, and that is called Use Your Difference to Make a Difference, How to Connect and Communicate in a Cross-Cultural World. This book is awesome, and I so enjoyed it. So before we dig into that, I wanted to ask you a little bit about you and who you are and what has brought you along in your journey to this point. Oh, well, first of all, thank you for reading. Thanks for saying the, the kind words. You know, when you write a book, sometimes you're just never sure how it's going to be received. So, right. uh, yeah, that, that's really humbling to hear. Um, but yeah, about me, I describe myself as a cultural translator. And my life has really been one that has been lived in intersections. I am a Nigerian who lived in five countries and four continents by the time I was 18 or 17, depending, because I was 17 turning 18 when I came here. And I also grew up under two military dictatorships. So for me, you know, I, I was someone who initially just had an identity crisis. I didn't quite know who I was because as my dad's job as a diplomat was moving us around, I was also grappling with what it meant to be who I was, you know, who, what it meant to be black, essentially, what it meant to be Nigerian enough, what it meant to be an international student, what it meant to be someone that's perceived as an African-American, even though he was an African-American, but he was an African in America with a slightly American accent and someone who somehow felt more Nigerian here than he did at home. So all those things were things that I was grappling with. And as I started to feel those things, I realized that I could turn to writing. I started writing when I was 15 in, in boarding school in Ibado, Nigeria. And writing became my companion. And it became the way for me to release and sort of express unused thoughts sometimes or even thoughts that hadn't been fully processed. Yeah. So anyways, the writing ended up becoming something that people started to resonate with, which led me to a podcast that I created. And um, sometimes when people hear you speak, they think that, you know, you have a voice that that's relevant enough to be on stage. And so one person said, hey, should you consider speaking? Yeah. And that speaking led to, uh, you know, me doing it more often and ultimately consulting. But yeah, that's that's how I get there. You know, a kid with an identity crisis with a mission to sort of try and erase this idea of what people consider normal. That's where I started. And hopefully uh, we'll be able to get to a place where we can all use our differences to make a difference. So tell me about UYD management and what you do with the consulting firm. Right. So it's a consultant firm, as you said, but it's, it's one that I 
used to facilitate trainings, workshops, and do a consultation with. And I work with fast-growing startups to multinationals and even media companies. And my goal essentially is to help uh, these three institutions, education institution, workplace institutions, as well as media institutions, understand what it's like to create safe environments for people to be themselves. Mm-hmm. And a company that could look like Hey, can you help us set up a diversity inclusion plan? Or it could be, can you help us do an unconscious bias workshop? It could be, hey, we were just starting and we're growing really quickly. Can you help us make sure our company culture doesn't get lost along the way? In schools, it could be anything from helping revise the curriculum, helping do some workshops, work training the faculty, training the students, and helping people be able to see microaggressions and you know, with media companies, it's, it's the same sort of thing. It's how you tell them the stories that people can find themselves in, the stories that aren't limited. But yeah, th- that's that's essentially what the, uh, the company does. Mm, that's interesting. I could ask a lot of questions within that realm, you know, just because <laughs> it's, it's such a topic of conversation these days. Do you find that more and more companies are looking for these services that you offer? Yeah, Jen, I, I do actually. I, I think a lot of it is because we... In the last few years, we've lived in a very interesting time that's now reactive, right? And a lot of people, companies rather, I found are are coming at it from a more compliance point of view. They don't want to get sued, right? You know, they want to put themselves. And if you think about things like Black Lives Matter or the Me Too movement, you know, and all the harassment claims, people are just saying they need to figure out how to check the box. That's one. And then the other thing is we've also had the the rise of, you know, voices, the internet is, as you know, can be many things, but one of the things that it's done is, is that it's democratized some people's voices in some places and which has raised awareness about maybe yeah. things that weren't given platforms before. And so people um, recognize that. And so progressive companies or progressive mm-hmm. institutions are making that part of their manifesto and the companies and they're looking actively for that. And if you look at it on a media landscape, you know, one of the things that I, I say when it's democratized, if you look at someone like Issa Rae, who is the behind Insecure and a lot of other things, there are so many um, stories that end up being able to be told because of the microphone and the computer and the internet. And that allows people to build followings, which then allow institutions to say, well, we can't ignore her. She's got this amount of following that could translate to dollars for us. Let's get this. It's yeah. a whole new world out here in that yeah. regard, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's still room to be to, to grow, though. But yes, it's definitely, oh, yeah. you know, definitely yeah. a different world. There seems to be like a lot of confusion and even a resentment that I'm noticing toward the terms diversity and inclusion. Do you find that as well? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people who have been used to being in comfortable positions feel like something is being taken away from them. It almost mm-hmm. it's like they feel as, as though if equality is being spread, they are losing their freedom. And, and it's not, you know, that's not the case. And if you look at something as simple as using, you know, the R word that, you know, people used to use in terms of describing people, right. the mental you know, capability, it used to be so easily used in movies uh, before. And now if you find some people saying, what, I can't say mm-hmm. this is a PC word, but then actually just eliminating you know, just a, a group of people that should never have to have to hear that word. And we should be able to be better and say, we shouldn't use that word. We apologize for using that. It's the same thing with the, the F word for describing people um, of, of different sexual orientations. And so something as simple as that is, uh, which we would consider progression and people right. say that's too PC. And there are other moments where people just feel like, well, get over it. You, you know, you, we started in this, you know, I, I had 
I grew up in the same place. <laughs> uh, I grew up with nothing, and I, here I am. You know, you stop, stop complaining. And what that really communicates to me is a, a lack of understanding of, you know, equity right. and privilege. And so when you think about meritocracy, as some people like to say, is if you give mm -hmm. me the same thing, I'm going to succeed. And I, I always try to, to distinguish between equality and equity, where equality, everybody has access to the same thing, but equity, you know, is giving what people what they need to succeed. And I could use a quick example here with schools. For example, let's say someone comes to the country from Guatemala, you know, and, and they, they don't know how to speak English, but they, you know, they just moved in, they're, they're, they're an immigrant. Um, what that student is going to need to succeed in America, for example, is not just going to the school. It's also going to be, you know, English classes and, and a bunch of other things that will make sure that they, they catch up with whether it's the pop culture reference and things like that. Are, are you going to say that making sure that um, we provide support for that student to have additional support beyond the classroom is wrong? Or are we going to say that's the right thing to do? And, and, and that's the same thing. Are people starting off? And uh, in, in the same, <laughs> at the same place is it, is it, you know, is one in the 40 yard line and is one at, at the, right. uh, you know, the zero yard line. And, and that's an under, that takes an understanding of how people understand the idea of what opportunity truly means and how biases affect different people. Personally, when I first came here, I, I know I personally would, you know, would face interesting comments where people would initially read my first name and they would think that I couldn't speak English because my full name, Tayo, is short for Akintayo. And so they might see that. They'd be like, ugh, I can't bring that to the workplace. His English might be bad. And then they see me or they're like, wow, you know, you're not what I expected. <laughs> or they hear me and they're like, oh, you sound white. <laughs> and I've had, I've had that happen to me so many times. Your English is so good, all these things. Mm. And I, I always bring those examples up just to say, look, if someone's already making a decision about you or me or someone else from before meeting me, think about how many other people that happens to, right? So that, that's a certain privilege and all that. And so oh, yeah. that then the idea of equality is a little different. Now you have to think about that uh, from a different perspective. But yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, and even within like within certain spheres of activism, there is oh. a fatigue around this concept of diversity and inclusion, because I think that my, my senses and what I've observed is that there are many well-meaning people who are setting up these companies and they're going into the workplace to try to teach about diversity and inclusion, but they themselves don't have any actual lived experience in this regard. So what do you think we might be getting wrong in our pursuits toward diversity and inclusion? That would be one question. But even within that, you know, you had said something that I thought was really interesting. And that was that you can kind of tell the companies mm -hmm. that are just trying to check it off because they don't want to get sued versus the companies who truly want to see change. So maybe my first question would be, how do you know that? What what tells you that? And then what do you think people can do differently or better in pursuing this work? Well, great questions. And one of the first ways to tell is if, you know, this is the first time, if February is the first time that they're asking you to come and February is Black History Month. Oh, all right. So that happens yeah. all the time where someone is coming there. And then when they're asking you questions, you say, hey, just come speak and, uh, and you know, talk about what you do. Right. That speaks to them not understanding that you can always tell if a company is really interested in it if, if with how they approach you. And so if they say, Hey, this is a part of our, our mission, our goal, uh, we want to be able to understand how to make sure this is a, a sustained company culture 
then you understand. Or if someone is saying, hey, we've had problems in the past with such and such, so we want to make sure we don't do that, then that's also a good sign that, you know, they're trying to make sure it's, a, it's on a different path. But if they say, hey, um, you know, we know we should do this, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, we have a bunch of uh, people of color and we're trying to make sure we do this in a month. Can you come by this for our Black History Month? Then, then, it, then it's, it's all that. It's different. But then another way it is also when you're actually engaging mm-hmm. with the leaders of the company and you're maybe talking about things that need and asking them, hey, how does this actually uh, impact your bottom line? And if they can't communicate to that or even try to communicate to that, because not every company right. can, can have the language for that, then you understand that maybe they think of it in a different way. And I always talk to CEOs and leaders and I say, diversity and inclusion is not something that should exist in the HR silo. It, it's the, you, what it is, is just, it's a people thing, right? You're a leader of people. And diversity and inclusion is about make you know understanding yeah. a, getting a different mix mm-hmm. and understand how the mix works, making sure that the mixes feel like they belong and they have voices and they have opportunities to grow within a company and an equal capacity. So if you want to ensure that people are living out your values and the company mission statements and making sure that they feel safe, it's actually beneficial for your company if you have uh, happy, engaged employees. And so. I once again asked them and said, are you trying to ensure that people are able to do well in your company right. so that they can ultimately be your champions? Or are you are you choosing to just be blind to this? The first question, you talked about the, the activism and how it's, it's different nowadays. Yeah, that's within the activist sphere. Like recently I was speaking to somebody and she doesn't do work in diversity and inclusion, like trainings in corporations, but it is a passion of hers. And she's a writer and an author. And she was frustrated because she was sharing that. I'm trying to think who said it. And she had put out there that basically diversity is for white people It with, you know, an eye roll emoji. And I understand what's behind that. Yeah, that's a good. Okay, that's a good point. I don't think... Diversity and inclusion is for any particular section of, of people. So mm-hmm. when I first came here, uh, when I first moved, I understood difference, by the way, uh, in a different capacity was I was this 10-year-old kid, right? I was this skinny Nigerian kid with a thick Nigerian accent in a French-speaking country and an American international going through puberty. That was my experience with that. But I come from yeah. a country in Nigeria where I didn't have to identify as black initially. And so at that point, I was like, oh, gosh, you're, I guess you're a black tile. I came from a majority black country. But that doesn't mean that there was there was no diversity, and uh, you know, Nigeria is a country with well, you know, very close to two hundred million, if not two hundred million, two hundred million plus people already. We have over two hundred and fifty ethnic groups, two major religions, and and different people with different beliefs. And so, diversity and inclusion is so much more than just your race or your gender or things you see. It's really about connecting the visible to the invisible. It's about the things <laughs> that make make who you are. In Nigeria, it could be could be about, hey, the age, it could be about the, the ethnic group, it could be about that. And so for any company, any person, I, I, I think when you think of, of diversity and inclusion from a very simplistic point of view, you get into this danger of what Tumaman uh, Ngozi Adichie calls the single stories, where you start to essentially make assumptions about who people are based on what you've, you feel it, you know, yeah. and once again, when I first came to America, people used to sing Lion King songs to me, or they used to assume anything uh, that they could about an African was what I, I fit in. And so if you're an activist and you're in the role, I would encourage people to to do the work to follow the curiosity and understand the community that they, that they want to serve. Being black, for example, is not a monolith. I, you can talk about colorism. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. talk about what it's like for an African versus an, an, an African that, that comes from a descendant of, of someone that was enslaved to 
an African that came from another country or to a Caribbean or to this different experience or to, you know, a black person living in Asia or a black person living in all this. There's so many different things. And so I would always encourage anyone that's trying to be an activist to really understand the people they're trying to serve and understand what it is that makes that person feel like they can live a full spectrum of humanity, right? What are things that are, are being taken away from them? And so if someone in a community says, well, I just don't feel like I can walk past the street without people right. making assumptions. I don't feel like I can wear certain clothes. I don't feel like my hair is respected. I don't feel like my ability to talk is, is seen as someone that is, is intelligent. Then you start to gather enough research to be able to show up and serve people. But if you are an aspiring activist, maybe you've heard about Native Americans or people that are, are being marginalized, any marginalized group, and you feel like you want to have a voice, you want to stand up for them and be an, an active ally, a mistake would be basically saying, I heard this in the news, so I'm going to essentially go out there, write something and say something without fully understanding it. I encourage, you know, like what you're doing, for example, you invite people onto the platform and to share stories, and then you have conversations with people, and then you talk about your experiences right. as well. And so that is, I think, a more effective way of being an activist when you can talk about your experience with something and what you've learned by having conversations with others, because then it comes across as more authentic, but then you are also able to be someone that can be a good influence in your sphere of influence. Because if someone in your sphere of influence who looks like you says something, you can say, hey, well, you might not understand this, but let me just tell you about this conversation that I had with such and such, or check out this episode, or check out this article that, that this, it becomes more authentic because you can come across that. And so, yeah, I mean, I think with with, with well-meaning people, we need to be more concerned about uh, the well-being of people. Uh, <laughs> and another thing that sometimes uh, will bother someone is, you know, if you hear about something, and then all of a sudden you feel that, you know, that shame, right? And, and, and guilt. And you start to be unapologetic about your, your apology. Like, I'm so sorry. 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 Sometimes some people take it differently. Some people will take it, you know, like, okay, it's fine. I get it. But this, some other people can be irritated in marginal communities because this is something that someone has been living with for their whole life. It, it's not about mm -hmm. just an apology, it's about, hey, well, this just find a way to do better. It then it becomes more about, oh, we, suspending our emotional labor here so that we can come for you? Or are we trying to work together to create an equal environment? Now you'll find people marginalized communities who have different responses to that. You know, some people right. have a space for that. And I, I, I generally do because of my, the work that I do, because I'm, I'm working in different environments, but I know a lot of people who do not. And I don't think there's anything wrong with not having space because like I said, it's really not their responsibility to sure. comfort you in that moment. It's, it's, it's more about, Hey, what can we do? And what can you do with the information you have right now? So, yeah. Well, so let's talk about your book, because I think we're going to get into a lot of this. So here's me. I'm not coming from a corporate environment at this point right. in my life. And I feel like it is such a great introduction into how people can start to enter in and break down a variety of different mm. barriers in this communication. And honestly, you know, I get a lot of people who will DM me and ask me like, but what can I do? How can I start? What can I, you know, and, and they have all the questions, like you said in your book, I'm going to be pointing them to this book. The way you put it out there is in such a way that I think anybody at any level of education can get into. Oh, I mean... Thank you so much. That's the highest compliment, honestly. And I was hoping to write it in a way where, you know, a kid could pick it up and understand where he or she or they yeah. could, you know, find oh. themselves and anyone that's in the journey 
um, you know, advanced or anywhere I can figure it out because I think that was my frustration with, with books and resources in the field where I think some people would say, this doesn't speak to me, or this doesn't speak to me. And I said, well, right. let me see if I can do something. <laughs> but I was afraid that maybe it was too, it would be too watered down for some people or be too specific for some no. people. So I'm glad that you received that. When did you start imagining that you would write a book and what was the production process like and who did you write it for? <laughs> um, you know, writing this book, I wrote this book for anyone that is felt invisible uh, and felt like they were not enough, felt like they didn't matter or felt like they didn't have a, a space in the world. And in many ways, I was also writing the book to my younger self. <laughs> you know, for me, the, the journey of, of just appreciating myself, even though many people always get surprised when I say it is was one that I had to take with, but it was a long one. And it was, you know, some is the one that I felt that I had to have in solitude. Uh, because even when I started to experience that identity crisis as a 10 year old, when I would come back home and cry and try to figure out if I need to change my hair or if I needed to be a different shade, if I need to be white or, or a light skin or any of that. These are things that a 10 year old, you know, does not essentially process. But, you know, my parents didn't know how to handle that because to them, they just thought, well, I love you, Tyler. You're, you're good. Don't worry. But that wasn't enough for me to hear because that didn't mean I was cool. And so I wrote it for people that have been institutionalized in, in, in a marginalized way and people that don't right. even know that they have a voice. And then I also wrote it for people that want to make an impact in the community, be a, be a change maker or change the conversation. You know, I've, I've always wanted to do something like this. I've gone around giving speeches and I started to hear people ask me or email me and say, hey, do you have a resource? You know, do, do you have a, a thing that I could share with someone? And, and that started to plant the seed you know, in my head. And after the 2016 elections, uh, my speaking engagements started to, to increase, but then the responses that I would, uh, I would get from people was also very, very targeted, where they wanted to say, I want to share something with someone, not just a video of your talk, because they weren't always sure if my videos were, were being recorded. I want to give someone a resource. Can you create something like that? So I started thinking about that in, you know, 2017-ish. And then last year, I made it a mission to figure out a way to get on the radio of a uh, publisher. I spent a whole year doing it. I had no idea who I needed to reach out to. I, I know I'd been writing since I was 15, but I was, I was like, okay, I know I wanted to be traditionally published because I feel like, I, you know, having the marketing yeah. distribution would be better for me. And so I went down this path of just... I think I did some reflection. I said, oh, I went to school with someone that used to work at McGraw-Hill. So let me reach out. And she said, I don't work there anymore, but I can give you an email address and I can introduce you to someone. And she did. And I was an editor in there. And I was like, okay, great. Genry, I already got this. <laughs> and um, that took it took a few weeks for her to respond. And we got on the phone call and it was it was, we like your story. This is, let me pitch this to people. And they said, right. hey, we thought it was great, but we don't think you're ready. It's more about your platform now. So we want to see if you can grow your platform. And I was like, okay, well, I'll keep you up to date. January left, February left, you know, went, I mean, rather. And then, you know, March came, I would send updates and no response. And so I realized that I was just being ghosted essentially at this point. So I started to look for other editors because I thought my entree was an editor and very much to no success. You know, I even had um, a company reach out to me and say, hey, we, if you pay us, you know, 3500 or 5000 we'll get it in all, all the bookstores. And I started to say to myself, well, let me just start writing the book anyway. <laughs> and, and, and not in a way that I would write it, just, it's just the framework, outline it. And so let me just pretend that I have a book deal so that whenever I get the book deal, I'm ready to just finish it because I feel like I want this book to be out sometime in fall of 2019, which is now. And so 
I got to September, I got to um, August, and then I just started realizing, wait, why can't I just reach out to the people that are on my, on my show? I, I get pitched all the time. And on similar topics, maybe they have editors. And then one person said, let me introduce you to mine. I got introduced to the publisher and I got on the phone. I was excited. And she asked me, you know, what type of career I would, I was envisioning. I said, you know, across between Oprah and Trevor Noah. And she says, you're too big for us. And I was like, wait, what? what? I mean, I started the year with someone saying, <laughs> yeah, I started someone saying I was too small. Now you're saying I'm too big. And I was, I was as, just as I was about to put my head down and just, you know, cause I was keeping a poker face, but I was thinking, when's it going to end? And then she says, but I know someone in Wiley. <laughs> uh, I used to work, I used to work there. I will introduce you. To I think they have a much bigger platform. And so I got introduced to someone in Wiley around, I think um, September, October. And then that took up another two months to, to get a response. And eventually we did the dance. I, one of the things I learned was if you don't have an agent, or any of that, they're just gonna not respond, <laughs> or they respond where they want. Eventually, in the summer, yeah. They, they yeah. Eventually, in the summer, they they listened to me and they said, okay, we'll give you a book deal. And then they and I, they asked me when I wanted the book come out. I said, you know, sometime in 2019, at least by you know summer to late fall. And they said, well, if you want that to happen, then you need to get the book done by March first. And so, I yeah <laughs> yeah. So I signed signed the deal in September. I started writing in, I'm sorry, in December rather. And then I started writing in January. I finished it on February 28th or 29th. I always mix it. I can't remember if it was a leap year or not. And I sent it to them. And like I said, I had been writing the structure for a little bit. But so when I started writing, it was easier for me to write. And then when I wrote, when I sent it to them, they were incredulous and I didn't understand. They said, how did you write it? And I said, well, you gave me a deadline. And they said, well, I don't know any author that makes a deadline. I thought that if I met the deadline, I would be dropped or something. <laughs> that, that was the funny thing. I was like, I, I was just it's an assignment thing. But that was a process. And so they got done. And between um, March and, and September, it was figuring out the cover of the book, figuring out the edits or work through who does what. And then I started to put on the book. So those are the logistics. But I started thinking about a book during speaking engagements when I started to see how the, the world is becoming more divisive, Brexit, elections. And people were feeling lost. And I was getting emails from people who are 12 years old to people who were, you know, way older. It, it, I'm talking about 60s, 70s, 80s, who are wondering what's going to happen. And then I thought that I could do something. That's awesome. So let's get into the book then here. So you have broken it down into basically like three major categories. Yeah. Can you tell us about all of that? Yeah. The book is called Use Your Difference to Make a Difference, and I wanted it to be a celebration of uniqueness, identity, and I wanted it to change people's relationships with things that are different. I think throughout history, we've gotten into trouble when we uh, we have not understood how to interact with anything that's different, you know, whether it's through the Crusades, whether it's through enslavement, whether it's through how we colonize or imperialism. It's just been someone's different. I need to change. I need to civilize this person. So I was like, well, let's change that. Use your difference to make a difference. And I found that people have a bad relationship with difference a lot of times because they don't know how to communicate effectively or they fear or they're, or they're ignorant about it. And I wanted to fill the fear and ignorance gaps with communication tools. I think if you know how to communicate or connect across cultures, you have a lot of lived experiences that are you know, increasingly accessible to you and your curiosity gets fed. So there are, there are three ways I believe that you can effectively connect essentially. And that's basically educating and make sure you don't perpetuate and making sure that you communicate. So educate, don't perpetuate, instead communicate. That's what the book is broken down into. The education portion really starts with your education of self, and then it goes to education of environment. 
Ironically, if you want to know how to communicate effectively across cultures, you have to understand your own cultural frame of reference first. You have to have a, a high level of self-awareness. Uh, yeah, in order to, first of all, figure out what your biases are, what your triggers are, and what your values are in that area before you can then figure out how you can then become someone who discovers their inner Sherlock, as I say, and understand the environment around them. And it's the reason why it's very important is, you know, we all form biases from, you know, as early as the age of three. And it's essentially how we see the world. And a lot of our, our world is conditioned and not intentional. You know, we believe what we believe because we were told to believe that, you know, it's from our parents, from a sphere of influence, religion, whatever. You read it somewhere, your older brother, or older sibling said something. But as we grow older, a lot of times we don't check and critically think through these beliefs. We just accept all these things, which unconsciously or subconsciously affect how we interact with other people and how we see the world. And so I go through exercises in the book for people to really reflect and then work through how they can expand in, uh, their environments with those things. And the other things that we don't work through are triggers. You know, many times we have emotional responses or physical responses to certain things or certain environments, and we don't understand that. We just react. And so if we understand how to figure out why we're reacting, we then understand how to make environments safe for us to connect to other people, but also we get a chance to maybe explore why something is really bothering us in a negative way and what, what we can do to improve that. And, and that really gives us another clue about ourselves that's hidden to us because once again, I said we live in a conditioned world as opposed to an intentional world. And then the values is really about getting people to live out values that they say that they have. You, you brought up well-meaning people before. Hardly anyone thinks of themselves as a bad person. And so if you catch anyone and they'd be like, oh yeah, I'm good. You know, this is what I want. Then I always ask them, hey, do you know what your five values are? And a lot of times many people can't tell you that. And then beyond that, I ask, hey, are you actually living out your values on a daily basis intentionally? And so some people say, love, I love love. Uh, and then I say, well, what do you think love should be? Well, I think love should be between a man and a woman. Can a man and a man have love? Can a woman and a woman have love? Like, nah, it's not what I want. Then I'm saying, do you... Is love actually a value of yours or is it a different type of love? And then it gets people thinking. And then if someone says compassion, I'm like, okay, well, how often are you aware of different people's sufferings? Or it right. just sometimes when you see something in the movie, you feel, if in movies, you feel like, oh, that's horrible. That's hard. I feel bad. Or do you actually find ways to be compassionate to other people? And so I, I just get people to do that on an individual level and in an institution level with, with uh, companies because people get into trouble when they don't live out their mission statements. That's how Enron or any other company gets into trouble. They don't do what it's always written on the wall. So that's the education of self-peace and the education of environment peace is really just about understanding how the same set of laws affect different sets of people, how people around you who could look like you or sound like you or maybe look differently from you really and mm. are, are living. We had a lot of people in the last election saying, oh my goodness, I live next to that person. I didn't know that that's how that person thought. You know, well, I have a lot of people who don't know who the mayors of their towns or, or cities are, who their governors are, their reps are. And these are people making decisions about your everyday life, you know? And so how do you know what's happening around you? And so I was just essentially giving people observational tools and helping them understand how, you know, they can become their own sociologist with that. The don't perpetuate piece is really about making sure that yeah. things are not institutionalized. And I, I go about it from a different level where I talk about, I understand identity and I understand how it's not a singular thing. It meant we have multiple identities. I talk about power, privilege, equity, and equality, which we've discussed. You know, people have different power dynamics and those power dynamics make certain people feel safe or certain people feel like they have to suppress parts of themselves and less security in, in certain workplaces or in certain schools. And so how are we making sure that depending on who we are, we are creating safe spaces for people to fully express themselves and we're not 
having untold narrative microaggressions rule the day, or we're not telling the wrong history in the classroom, telling the true stories of the world, and it's not a revisionist history. Then I also talk about you know the epidemic of fake news and how people are using false information to tell stories that suit their narratives and continue to make echo chambers that are negative be the thin. And so we have this you know divisiveness where people are aware that sometimes people don't research the the source of things, and so they know if you have they have this influence around you, propaganda can easily share, and it's also being used to stoke and incite violence and to get people to do. So since I lived under two dictatorships, I used to see firsthand what propaganda can do, and a lot of times. If we're not careful, we can use social media to do the same sort of thing. And I was sort of challenging people as well to, hey, be their own fact checkers with that. And then the last piece is about communicating. And it's really about finding different ways to open dialogue. Right. Um, the fact of the matter is we're going to live in different environments. We're going to live with people that share different views. So how do mm -hmm. we find ways to open the dialogue and make it more conversational? We don't have to agree with them, but having conversations sometimes can really humanize people in front of our eyes, which allows us to say, hey, you know, I don't always agree with this person, but the person's actually that person. I, I don't think that that's how everybody is. And then you go away from thinking of groups as individuals. So yeah, I hope that, that's a quick summary. That's not a quick summary. But no, no, I, th I feel like it was a quick summary. And I think it was, yeah, just really succinct. And I'm sitting here thinking through some things. One of the things that I really focus on is this idea of history and how important it is for people to learn and understand history. But for me, I went through my own journey. And one of my journeys I think that helped me the most was that I also lived abroad. So I lived in China for close to six years. And the majority of my learning and my learning about my own culture and my own perspective and my biases and all of these things came from living abroad. So what I love that you do in this book is you take people through the process of, like you were saying, identifying bias, unpacking where it comes from, illuminating emotional triggers, and the importance of understanding those things, as well as the importance of understanding emotional intelligence. I love how your book yeah. starts with talking to people about what is your internal culture and the way that you say you need to understand these things and you need to be able to develop empathy in order to then move forward from that. And I think that's really powerful. Do you mind if I read a portion from your book? I don't mind at all. That, that would be an honor. Okay. So page 128, understanding the complexities of your identity. Earlier, I talked about how we all have multiple identities, an understanding of your identity against the backdrop of the histories and cultures you're learning about gives you insight into your privileges, how people perceive you, and how you can go into the areas you have access to with your power and fill the gaps. An understanding of your complex identity will also help you address your guilt and sometimes shame. Make no mistake, if you have committed to being an ally, this is something you will experience, and if you don't address it, it will turn into self-hate. If you hate yourself, you won't be able to love others. When you're paralyzed by self-hate, inaction is the most comfortable action to take. The thing is that it is natural to feel guilt, but that guilt can be a source of connection with people who look like you. I'll give you an example. I often give diversity and inclusion workshops, and after my workshops, without fail, a group of white people come up to me to tell me how bad they feel and apologize for the things that have been said and done to me. I tell them that it's okay and turn the tables by asking them a question. I ask, what will they do about what they heard? Do you know what I hear most of the time? I hear a variation of these two things. What can I do? 
who wants to hear from me. And I'm the last person anyone wants to hear from, which I immediately point out as a privileged position to be in. And you go on to say, don't be trapped by the ancestry of your identity or ashamed of it. Be ashamed of the systems that disempower people based on their identities. When you understand the complexities of your identities and the privilege you have as an ally, you're able to understand who agents of oppression are and identify overt and covert forms of oppression. It's up to you to decide whether you'll push through discomfort to do something about what you learn. And I just felt like that was such a powerful segment. I mean, I could happily read the whole book here. One of the things I really appreciated that you got into in the book was our complex relationships with power and privilege. And that's something that I've been learning about more recently, that every single individual has a relationship with power and privilege and that you can hold both power and oppression at the same time. And just the, Mm -hmm. the complexity and the nuance in that, I think it's so important to understand that. So I really appreciate that. And then you talk about shame and guilt. Shame and guilt so often just paralyzes people. Yeah. Brianna Brown was the best person that really helped me with that. I understand that. There was one point in my life that I can look back to where I say, this changed everything for me. And it was when I read her book, The Gifts Mm. of Imperfection, because that's the first time I read a book that really delved into the concept of shame and just the way that it holds us back. In terms of communication, because that is the final section of your book, and it's why I do what I do, my passion for storytelling and the belief that when people can come into story, that something powerful takes place in that. And you had touched on that a number of times. What do you see as some of the greatest barriers to communication in this? First of all, I just want to take time to acknowledge that Jen does an amazing job, and I'm just honored to be on the platform. And so thank you for everything you've done and what you do and your curiosity. I think it's it's truly, truly behaviors like yours that can actually make an impact in the world. So thank you for being who you are. Really appreciate it. Thank you. So with communication, I think the barriers are inaction. It's silent. I feel like what you are reading there that no one wants to hear from them or there's this fear of cancel culture now. And I'm not a fan of cancel culture, by the way. I think there are people... Uh, you know, where you bring up R. Kelly, people that are that do heinous things that we can distinguish between. But one of the things that I fear sometimes is people think that if they're going to be canceled, it's something that they, they need to think about before they even say anything because they're going to lose their jobs. There's there's that. And, and then the other thing is just silence. Sometimes, our, as Martin Luther King said, our lives begin to end the moment we, we become silent about things that matter. And I, I don't think people get out of their comfort zones enough. That's another, another barrier. People are afraid of losing their friends and access to certain things. What is more important? You know, is it the country club membership or is it the access to, you know, freedom, liberty, you know, and, and the rights that are written on, on the constitution? So those type of things. And then the other thing is sometimes people feel like their identity is being attacked. And sometimes it can be, you know, with certain conversations. But a lot of times I find that maybe someone of different values is not necessarily attacking identity. Sometimes it's that's how they've grown to see the world. And that's why I started the book with us taking a, a you know, reflective lens to look at where we came from. Because if you have that ability to do that for someone else, you're going to be start asking open-minded questions in a way where you're going to try and understand how someone got to that place. And then you're going to understand what I call equally as good alternatives, which is the idea that, hey, this is your way <laughs> and this is my way. We got to the same place. Tell me how you got the same place. Let's compare notes. And another barrier is tradition. And I love tradition. 
but I also think the tradition can be remixed and updated a lot of times. So how many of us feel like we are going against who we are, our families are, because we are communicating something? Whether it's, oh, if I come out now, that's going to cause shame in my family, right? So that means we need to, you know, we need to figure that out. Or, you know, if I wear this, that means I'm a less moral woman or something like that. And all those certain things, we need to figure out what traditions are really affecting us because they do affect how we communicate because then we're going to start feeling like hypocrites to ourselves, unfortunately. Or we're going to start calling other people hypocrites because we feel like they're doing something that, that's against who they are. And so those are the bears, I think. Yeah. Anything else that you want to talk about before we close out? I just want to remind people of how people change the world. And it, it doesn't begin with, you know, with people in, in law enforcement or people, you know, in the government. It really starts with us in our backyards and in, in our minds. And so your neighbor, your son, your, your brother, your, your sister, anyone that you work with as a colleague, your, your classmate, that's where it starts. And if we think that this is something that we can postpone, what's happening is that the people who are in systems that are suing them at the expense of marginalized people are going to continue to thrive because they know that's the advantage that anyone that, that wants to consistently disenfranchise people has is that they know that the system is rigged in a way that suits people that look a certain way and, and have certain privileges. And so if we just take feet off the gas and say, I don't want to do anything because I need to look good in front of the world. What we are actually saying is that we are okay with the status quo being what it is. And so I would just like to remind people to understand that the work to change the world, it starts with you being someone that's a good champion of, of others in your family. <laughs> and then that's going to expand to whoever's in your circle of influence. And that's going to expand to whoever you go to yeah. school with and you work with. Don't be overwhelmed and think, I will do this when I graduate. I will do this when I get out of work. That's where we yeah, get in trouble. Yeah. And, or when um, I have more time or when I do that. That's a privilege. That's a, that's a privilege. And so, yeah, just find someone that looks up to you or, lo or you look up to if you're trying to learn, you, you look up to find somewhere to learn. If you're a leader, just try and impart something to, to other people on a daily basis. And I think we'll be in a yeah. better place. So where can we find you? Tell us about your platforms where we can follow you. Well, so tyroxin.com is the digital home, T-A-Y-O-R-O-C-K-S-O-N. And at tyroxin anywhere on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. And the podcast is called As Told by Nomads. And the book is called Use Your Difference to Make a Difference. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. No, it's, it's a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm really humbled and grateful for the opportunity.